Hey everyone, I'm Scott Branley. And I'm Alicia Coakley. Every member of the church has a story to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth, and inspire others. On today's episode, we're going to hear how one woman's near-death experience opened her eyes to the importance of finding purpose in life and in eternity. Welcome to Latter-day Lights. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Latter-day Lights. We're so glad you could be here with us. And we're really excited to introduce our guest today, Bridget Cook-Birch. Bridget, how are you doing today? I'm so great. Very honored to be here and just oh, excited to talk with both of you. Awesome. I'm super excited. I was I was like fangirling over you. <laughs> Ever since I met you at the LDS PMA when you were like talking about your story, I remember telling Scott after that class, I was like, <gasps> I have the most amazing person that we just have to get on my, our podcast. I was like, I really hope that she like emails me back. <laughs> you know, I just wasn't sure because it was so chaotic afterwards and so many people had wanted to talk with you. And I don't know if you had another class or whatever was going on, but I was just like, oh, like it wasn't like a hardcore confirmation, but I really hope, I really hope. So when I got the email, I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> I glad. was so excited. It was so fun to have in class and so super <laughs> excited about story that it was like, oh. Yeah, we get to connect again. So I'm yeah. glad that you did. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I've never met you before, but I'm excited to get to know you too. I, I wouldn't say I'm <laughs> fangirling, but you know. <laughs> oh, so I'll leave that be. to Alicia. You will be soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, Bridget, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about um, what I love to do. So Alicia mentioned meeting me at LDS PMA. I'm a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And my passion and purpose is about storytelling and raising new emerging leaders on the planet that understand the power of story and their story so that they can change the world. So my clients call me the book whisperer. And I just um, love to um, bring out best-selling books and opportunities for people to speak for films, documentary stories to come out into the world. And so that's, that's kind of what I do professionally. Which is kind of along the lines of what Scott and I do, just you do it on a very, very large scale. You know, you're sharing other people's stories, right? Is this is essentially like your main topics. Is that correct? As far as books go? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, it's so amazing. Usually it's, um, so podcasts, I think, are so incredible. It's one of my favorite media that has happened over the last couple of decades because you can get such rich and vibrant stories, which is wonderful. But sometimes um, people have really complex stories that, you know, these flashes that we're used to um, in media, certain kinds of media and things, um, that it deserves a, a longer platform to tell the whole truth, if that makes sense. And so I think what you guys do is extraordinary, powerful, and vitally important. And I think books still play that vital role, especially for educated people who want to find out the full truth and not just, you know, some snatches of things. And so I really Mm -hmm. love that about both mediums. There's there's such great things. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. agree. So where do you live? Do you have family? You know, what kind of education I guess background do you have? Do you have any weird talents? Like, tell us a little bit more. 
<laughs> well, Alicia, when you and I were talking, I was telling you about my background and my nonprofit and stuff. And you're like, okay, well, there has to be something like weird about you. Like, are you a horrible housekeeper and cook? And right. Things like that. And I, think, I needed to feel yes. better about myself. <laughs> I was like, you're like superwoman here. Yeah, I used to be very OCD about it. And then I realized it was getting in the way of getting other things in life done. And so now um, I can keep things clean and neat, but I'm not OCD anymore. And it really shows from time to time. It's like, oh, you're coming. Give me at least 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Make something representable. But now I live in um, south of Salt Lake City, up near the mountain in a beautiful little place that has a lot of nature. And we absolutely love that. And um, I have four kiddos, three daughters and a son. And a son that just got married, so that's exciting. Aww. And I've got three grandkids from my second daughter, um, two boys and a little girl that was just born. So my kids, oh, my no. husband, um, my grandkids are like the light of my world. I just absolutely love that that and them. Um, and Aww. most of them are here in the local area. Um, my daughter and her husband are living in Arizona right now, and he's going to dental school, and he's in the army. So we will see where. Um, they send him next, but I'm super excited for all the adventure of family and life. And just, you know, that little thing of seeing where these little ones are going to take their lives. is just beautiful. It's fun to watch. That's awesome. Very cool. Aw. I love that. I can't wait. Now, do you have, I, I asked one of our other guests this, do you have a special grandma name? Yes. It's Mimi. <laughs> Mimi, that's so cute. <laughs> I thought it would be Nana, but Nana was already taken. So Mimi oh, was the next okay. one that my grandson seemed to love, and then it cut off from there. <laughs> nice. I tell my kids all the time, I'm already claiming I'm Glamma, and your dad is going to be Grumpa. Like, that's oh, so we got Glamma and Grumpa. That's what we got. We've got a way. I have a 16 year old, is my oldest. So I got a little bit of time before he marries uh, Scott's daughter. <laughs> that's arranged. So we got a little bit of time before Scott and I have grandkids, right, Scott? Hopefully, yes. (laughs) I know it's my son who was just married. It's like, take your time, but it is such a a thrill when it happens. Very true. Well, Bridget, the time is yours. Why don't you share your story with us and with our, with our viewers? Okay. Well, um, my inspired authors retreat, my inspired writers retreat. I like to tell my authors uh, a little bit about some of the things in my past. So I grew up Catholic in Brigham City, Utah. I had enough guilt to be a Jewish princess. <laughs> I have an extraordinary, <laughs> wonderful adoptive family. I was adopted at six months age. Um, but there was a, a little thing that sometimes happens, well, often happens with adopted children where there's this question of, you know, why was I given up? And I think it's an important thing to always tell the truth um, to a child because they're going to know it one way or the other. Um, this way they can tackle those some of those questions a little bit earlier in life. Um, but I, I just always felt, I think, unworthy and a little broken, um, e- even though I was having these amazing experiences, grew up in a really amazing home. Uh, and the biggest thing I would say is that just that feeling of unworthiness made me overcompensate. So 
I worked a lot. I was trying to get good grades in school. I also wanted to please my friends, you know, most of whom, since I was Catholic, um, were more on the partying side of things (laughs) in our conservative little town. And then I went off to college. Um, At first, I started at University of Utah. I got a little homesick. Most of my friends were up at Utah State or in the local area. And so I went up there, but the economy was so different. So I ended up having to work three jobs while I was going to school. And I started to really wear on my body. And um, soon enough, uh, I went down to visit my mom in Brigham City. And I just said, I don't feel good. And I hadn't eaten for several days. And I'd lost like 30 pounds. And I was very emaciated. So she rushed me to the doctor. And um, luckily, it was right next to the hospital because I collapsed. They rushed me in for emergency surgery. I had fissures and holes in my colon from um, stress and other things. Mm-hmm. And I also had a, a horrific infection. So everything had conglomerated into this one big, giant, perfect storm. Wow. And uh, so they started me on several different kinds of intravenous antibiotics. And um, I never had most of them before. And um, what we didn't know was that one of them was killing me. And so um, my mom stayed with me for several days. My dad came to visit. He was working out at Morton Thiokol. Um, And finally, my mom went home to get some rest. And I was listening to a couple nurses outside in the corridor. And they said, I think we better call our mom back because she's not going to make it until morning. And so I was there. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I was young and even though I had these underlying emotional um, sadnesses and just feeling, you know, unworthy of God's love, there was this part of me that felt, you know, invincible as a young, you know, as a, as a 20 something year old. And then there was this other part of me that in that moment, I knew that I had not fulfilled the measure of my creation. I didn't know what that was. But boy, did I know I had not done what I had come here to do. And and I just knew it with all that I was. And so I, you know, I prayed and I know my mom had been praying like crazy. And I had a priest come in earlier in the day and give me a blessing. But then I had an extraordinary experience with a roommate. And um, she and I had um, listened to each other's prayers, we'll say, and, and some, there were some personal things that were shared. And she turned to me in that moment, she goes, you know, you're dying, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. Earlier that day, however, she had come out from surgery, she had um, uh, gallbladder surgery, and it was the old fashioned kind, you know, before all the little Mm -hmm. things that you do now, but at the time, it was the long incision. And her body was not accepting the medication, and she could feel every cut every stitch and she was writhing in pain and you know she's behind the curtain but I could feel her I didn't know that there was such a thing as being empathic and feeling other people's feelings but I felt her pain and I was crying Mm -hmm. for her and then her husband and her bishop gave her a blessing and within about 15 seconds I heard her sigh and the pain I could feel the pain leave my body as it was leaving her body and she fell asleep and I was like whoa, I do not know what, I do not know what that is. But when she talked to me in the, in the wee hours of the morning and said, you know, you're dying, you know, don't you? And, and I said, yeah. And and then I was like, um, can anyone have one of those blessings? (laughs) And she said, (laughs) yes. And she called her husband right away. So this poor man, you know, in the wee hours Uh of the morning, 
he grabbed another gentleman from their ward and they came to the hospital and they gave me a blessing. And, you know, I didn't understand all about religion or, um, you know, I, I had grown up, as, I was an acolyte in the Catholic church and I was very avid and my dad was a deacon and my mom was a convert and would bring in converts. And so we grew up in a very religious, but also spiritual life. And so mm -hmm. I didn't, I, you know, I, I went to church every Sunday. Well, almost every Sunday. It's kind of a rebel. Um, but, but I listened to like the scriptures and doctrine and different things like that. And I had a certain kind of connection. But what happened during that particular blessing and then after rocked my world for forever. Because as the blessing was taking place, I felt something within my body. And a peace came over me that whether I lived or died, it was going to be okay. And then I fell asleep and it was a, a nice, beautiful sleep for the first time in a couple of, of uh, weeks um, or, or a couple of days, I should say. But was interesting that I woke up and they were gone and, um, you know, everything was still um, just doing its thing. And then I felt and saw the presence of two beings in my room. And one of them was just so bright and so dynamic still makes me cry to talk about it to this day um i was in the presence of such unconditional love it was undeniable who it was and even with my limited knowledge i knew i was in the presence of christ and it was knocked my socks off it wasn't just that it was like all these things that the lies that I believed about myself that I wasn't worthy because I, you know, wasn't making straight A's in college that I didn't have a great relationship with my parents in the moment that, you know, I didn't, wasn't in the process of getting engaged and married. Like a lot of people my age, there were all of these things that were going on in my head that I just thought, you know, I had bills to pay and wasn't doing well with that. And he didn't care about any of that. He, was full of so much unconditional love. Like my cells were vibrating with that love. And I had one of those metal um, tray tables, you know, at the, mm -hmm. the side of the bed. And I could see and feel those, those atoms vibrating with his love. Never experienced anything like it. And at one point I was up looking down at my body and watching this vibration take place of what this love was doing. It just, it was crazy, but it was all really fast. And um, he said that I was going to be given a second chance at life. And I've never taken that for granted. And uh, I fell asleep, had a nice deep, deep sleep that time. I woke up and the nurses wheeling in more of these intravenous antibiotics. And I said, wow, hey, I can have every single one of these, but not this one. And she's looked at me like, you know, I was the crazy person <laughs> to send back to the asylum. And, and I was like, no, really, this one is killing me. And I didn't know how I knew. I did not remember him saying anything like that. But I woke up with that absolute knowing in my body that I could not have this one. And so she runs off to tell the doctor, you know, we got a fruitcake in the hospital room. <laughs> and fortunately, this gentleman, um, we've had a lot of patients who had experienced through the years, some near-death experiences and other things, families visiting and, and uh, or family members visiting and things like that. And he's like, 
Well, she's on all the rest of these antibiotics. We can take her off of this one. So they took me off of that one and I was out of the hospital in the next 24 hours under my own power. And um, to a lot of people, that physical change was so miraculous. But to me, it was what happened on the inside. Because number one, I changed the story. I was telling myself, you know, not 100% because I'm 100% human. But I changed so much of that story that I could look into the mirror. And for the first time in my life, I could see love there. And then the coolest, coolest thing was that I could go out into the world and I could look at any human in their eyes and I could see love there. I began to see them, I think, a little more like God would see them. All the potential, all the purpose, all the all the beauty, all the joy, all the love. And even like all of the glory and the messiness of life, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that being messy is part of the reason we're here to work it out, to learn the lessons, to understand what being human is all about, that we can create and grow from our experiences and have better and better, higher qualities if we let them, instead of letting those stories keep us limited. And uh, I was able to go work with um, high-risk gang youth in Denver, and that experience shifted and changed my world. I just wasn't afraid of any of them anymore. It was like I was conscious and aware of what they could do because of how they'd grown up, you know, like a gang being like their lifeblood and and it's like their religion. But when I saw how some of these kids could change their life around the moment they began to have a different possibility of life, you know, when someone would love them enough to show them a different way and they'd be like, ah, I don't have to go do the drug deal. I don't have to sleep with my gang leader. I don't have to pull the trigger, even though someone else told me I need to. And I just I saw the power of story and just fell in love with the human soul. So oh my goodness, that's amazing. You know, I loved when you, I mean, we're mentioning the fact that you, you could feel your roommate's pain, right? From earlier and how that's, that's a very empathic or um, I like to call it like being a sensitive um, because it makes me, it it always makes me think of the scripture in Mosiah where it talks about, you know, that commandment to mourn with those that mourn. I think sometimes, you know, we think, oh, we should feel bad for them. But like to truly mourn with someone that mourns means you need to feel their, their pain, you know, like to truly connect with them. Like it should be something that feels a little more personal to you and not to the point to depress you or hurt you, but just so that you have that love and that compassion that you're talking about towards them, you know, so that you can truly understand what it is on some scale of what they're going through. Um, And I just think it's so interesting that, you know, this was, I'm not going to age you or anything like that. Obviously you look amazing, but you're a grandma too. And so this probably Mm -hmm. happened a little while ago, you know, before you were married and had kids. And back then you didn't know what being empathic really was was like. And when you talk about the vibrational um, energy that, that just kind of resonated with that experience with the savior, those are things that happened that you had no idea what they even meant. Like you no. could see them, you could feel them. You didn't have terms for them. You didn't have any, any understanding of them. And I mm-hmm. love that heavenly father will give us experiences. And then sometimes he might make us wait a really long time before we get the excla- the explanation of those experiences right? Until we actually understand them better. I know I had, um, myself, I had this experience the the night that my brother passed away. And um, <clears throat> I had had this, this dream. I don't, 
I don't know if like now's the time to share it, but I'd had this dream and in the dream, I didn't quite understand what was going on, but I remember the feeling of, of the result of it was very like peaceful. And it was, it was like, that's all I needed. I just needed to feel the peace at that time. And it wasn't until, um, two years later when I started writing my book that, that understanding came out in my book of what that really was that was shown to me. And, and I remember thinking like, Oh, wow. Like it's so cool how he can take these experiences from our past and he can like reinsert them into our lives at different points and give us a little bit more meaning and a little bit more understanding, you know, and that can kind of propel us a little bit further and put us even more in the middle of that path to our purpose, you know? So I just, I love that you brought that up because sometimes I think we get a little confused and frustrated when we're feeling something and we experience something, but then we don't have the words to explain it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I love that you, um, that you figured that out when you went to write it down. And um, I would love to share with your audience too, that I have seen that over and over with people and it's not, it's not, often like an extrapolating or mimicking someone else's experience. It's like when you start to really from the inside out um, unearth and excavate your own experiences and your own, um, you know, spiritual beliefs and concepts along with um, what you experienced in life and see happening. And then these other spiritual things that can happen that the writing down of it suddenly is like putting puzzle pieces together so they were often there the whole time, or you got to grow in some wisdom and knowledge. But then when you go to write it down, there's these beautiful, significant things that can take place because your your consciousness is focused on, you know, well, how do I share what happened inside of me? And then mm-hmm. you get more of these um, concrete understandings about yourself. I call it um, becoming a witness to like your own divinity and your own um your own connection to the greater divine. And so it's just, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm glad you shared that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So now at this point you had these experiences um, and then you went and you said that you started working in a high risk youth home, correct? Is that what it is? Or working with high risk youth. Um, Now, had you, had you, and they had several um, living centers throughout Colorado. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then now had you joined the church at this point? Did you kind of have a little bit more understanding of some, some of those experiences you, you had had? Yeah, it, it, um, it took me two years and six sets of missionaries. Cause you know, I had the whole Catholic thing <laughs> going on. and then yeah. suddenly have this experience. And so, um, I had two years of, of a lot of, um, a lot of soul searching, you know, I would get lost every Sunday, just take my truck and go drive somewhere. And, um, and uh, after I usually attended two or more churches and I just I wanted to know how I felt and where the connection was and where I was getting knowledge and what what really seemed to fit. And I left myself completely open, um, which was great because um, I lived in South Carolina for a little while and, um, you know, and, and back in Utah. But I, I got to experience many different religions mm-hmm. and how I felt. Um, and it was a couple of these last things, like, is it really the Trinity or is it really the Godhead? Like, what is the truth? Right. And there were a few other things that held me back for a while. And then um, I had some other spiritual experiences about um, where I felt like I was being led on a beautiful journey of exploration. And that um, sometimes where humans get really black and white, 
is that there's so much more rich knowledge than we give ourselves um, credit for. And so it took me a while. And then I, I ended up becoming a member of the church before I moved to Colorado. And even since that, I've had all kinds of beautiful knowledge and information, you know, and I love to study. Mm-hmm. And I've met many other people from many different religions who've had near-death experiences. I've been a speaker for the International Association of Near-Death Studies and some other things. Anyway, I just, I love it because I realize there's so much we don't know. And then there's so there much really is that we have been given and so it's been a lovely experience i love that you shared that because i think as members of the church we do get stuck in um a bubble i guess Mm -hmm. um when i when i was a bishop when i was a bishop um we the scouts had this thing in ogden they called it the ten commandments hike and what they would do is they would take the scouts and they would go to 10 different uh, churches in the inner city of Ogden. And every one of the churches, the the pastor uh, or whoever was leading that congregation would share one of the 10 commandments with the, with the, with the scouts. And I remember going with them the first year and I was floored. Just, I, I mean, every single church we went into, I truly felt like there was so much love. Like mm-hmm. they, I felt welcomed. I felt like um, they loved God and they loved the Savior. And they were doing the best they could with what they had. And it really opened my eyes to just, you know, <laughs> how easily we can we can segment ourselves from the rest of the world without mm-hmm. realizing that they love God and that they're trying mm-hmm. to do the best they can. And so the next year I took my girls, even mm-hmm. though it was a, a scout thing, I took my <laughs> girls. Cause I'm like, you, you have to experience this in order to really just open your heart and have, have that empathy for, for other religions and, and other, you know, other members of churches who are trying to find, peace and and a relationship with god because mm-hmm. there so. there's so much that we have in common you know and i there was is. looking at the population of the united or not just the united states but the world um and i just recognize you know god has close to eight billion ways of reaching us and what matters <laughs> is our reaching back that's really what matters is our reaching back and you know what journey is he going to take us on so yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So I do, I want to hear more about the journey that you were taken on, you know, from the, from the point. So where do we, where do we pick up from, you know, you're working with youth and how does that kind of move you further into your purpose and to finding that purpose? Well, um, well, I found it fascinating to um, be a member of the church at the time outside of Utah, because it was a totally different experience. And, so different. Um, <laughs> Yes. And yeah. I, I still had like these incredible parents that didn't disown me. You know, when I became a member of the church, my dad is like Tavion Fiddler on the roof. Like all his kids have gone off on these different things. But, you know, we didn't talk a lot about religious things, but we talked about spiritual things so we could have deeper conversations. And I felt respected by my parents and I highly respected them. But I was like on this really intense spiritual journey. And um, in working with these kids, as I mentioned, it was just, it was so profound. Um, uh, And um, 
I saw certain things happen, like, um, cause I've always been intrigued with leadership and I took political science in school and got a couple degrees in, um, uh, political science and, um, a couple other things, but it all had to do with how humans relate to one another. And it was fascinating to me to watch. We had a, um, a company in the company that they had bought called Arkansas River Tours. And we would take these kids from the concrete jungle and then take them out onto this, you know, raging river. And they would get to like see the peaceful moments and things. And then they would get to hit these three and four, you know, rapids. And to watch what would happen where sometimes the bullies would crumble because they were so used to the constructs and the mechanisms that they had built inside of themselves and how they would maintain power and control. And I saw some of the other kids, like if someone else's life was in danger or they needed to help, you know, the boat had turned over or or the raft, um, that they would be the one reaching down to pull someone else up into the the boat. And I would watch these dynamics such fascination. And I thought, you know, there's so many lessons here. I want to write a book because we, we realized we were going to, it was after Columbine and some other things and our parents were getting older. So um, my husband and I, at the time we decided that we were going to move back to the Utah area to be closer to his parents in Idaho and mine. And, um, and I was like, I want to take some of this openness that I have discovered, you know, cause I'll be honest as a little kid, Um, you know, my dad would smoke a pipe and he would drink and, um, that is not a sin in the Catholic church, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of the not knowing, right. And the stories told about people who are outsiders, uh, when I was growing up, people would say, well, you're going to hell because you're not a member of the, you're going to hell because your dad drinks and smokes. And, um, and I realized through my experiences, um, that this was, very much not the case. It was the culture. And so I saw the culture outside and I saw the culture inside. And I remember um, hearing a story from um, President Hinckley's driver where President Hinckley even recognized that. Like he would fly in and he'd be like, okay, now we're back in the other church. You know, so there was the church of culture and then there was the church of um, this love, right? And I thought, could I bring back some of this incredible, intense, deep love and transformation that I'm seeing as possible in anyone, even if we've made horrific mistakes? And um, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to write a story, fictional story, of course, about some kid who walks away from his gang, has a price tag on his head, um, has to figure out how to forgive himself how to be forgiven by God and be redeemed and how to end up being a contribution to society. And I thought that would be really cool. Um, so I had these ideas, you know, and when I was working in Denver, I worked with like Nuestra Familia and the Bloods and the Crips and some of the white kids that got involved with gangs. But one night in the middle of the night, I had this dream, you two, you wouldn't believe it. It was like I had scenes and plots and even eye color. Like I had the making to the most incredible novel. I was like, bestseller like I was so excited <laughs> I had the rises and falls I had the whole hero's journey I had everything all in one place and it was it was magnificent and luckily mm-hmm. we happened to be on vacation and so I wrote from like two o'clock in the morning until 10 and my whole family's looking at me like I'm not I'm like this is so cool so I was writing 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 and then um you know as a lot of young moms do I'd have to put it away for a while and take care of other things and then I'd come back to it 
I never could fully walk away from it. And uh, I had to do some research because, you know, I, I worked with these certain kinds of gangs, but in my dream, it was a fully indoctrinated skinhead. And I didn't know a whole lot about skinheads. So I started to do research and I find out that they really, truly believed in the edicts of Hitler. Like if you're not white and you're not um, completely healthy, that you should be euthanized and sterilized and wiped off the planet. And mm-hmm. these, these deep, dark skinheads, they were not about drugs and machismo and territory as much as they were um, about this ideology. And I was like, wow, if I could think of anything the opposite of love, it would be this thing. So... I'm doing more research and I'm writing this skinhead into my story. And then I come across this guy's website. His name's TJ Leiden. And he was a former skinhead, changed his life, price tag on his head. You know, websites that said $3 million price tag, kill, terminate on site. And he didn't care. He was teaching kids to stay out of gangs. And on his website, he's saying all these things. So everything that I have written and everything on his website are completely in tandem. And I'm like, holy crap, the the hero of my story is real. And then he says one other thing. He goes, by the way, I just um, converted to a new church. If you want to know more about that, then click here. And I thought, oh, gosh, is this guy's healthy ass? I'll just And then he said, I'm looking to write my life story. If you know of anyone, have them give me a call. And I thought, how do wow. I call this guy and say, I've already been doing that. Like if the nurse in the hospital <laughs> was thoroughly convinced I was a nut job, this man would be. And, um, but I called him, you know, and I said, Hey, I've been working on this fictional thing. I had this dream. I really think it was about you. I'm a writer. Here's my thing. And he goes, Oh, that's really cool. And then he said, I got a writer from Newsweek and he's writing my book. And I said, okay, cool. And I was like, I don't know why I felt guided to this because everything felt guided. And I said, but, you know, I will respect that. And I won't publish this fictional story because you are real. And he said, I really appreciate that. And what I didn't know at the time was that someone had taken 95% of his story and put it in film and never gave him any credit. It was called American History X. I remember that movie. I shouldn't remember that movie because it was intense, (laughs) but I didn't grow up active in the church. And so we, there was a lot of those movies, but that was, oh, wow. Yeah. And so when I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to honor your intellectual property and the fact that you're real and I won't write this story. Then when his, his writer from Newsweek flaked out, he called me up and he said, could you write this? I'm like, Heck yeah. So that was my very first <laughs> book. I thought it was going to be fiction. Turns out to be nonfiction. Um, you know, it's never won any groundbreaking awards. It's never made me a whole lot of money. But what it did do was two things. Number one is it started saving lives wherever it went in prison, outside of prison. And more and more people were hearing about TJ. He worked for the Simon Wiesenthal Museum of Tolerance. He was on... Um, the CNN a ton of times, but also the history channel. And um, anyway, there's a whole story behind that, but there were a lot of people that were, um, you know, these different like highfalutin groups of, of, of very violent gang offenders 
And they would say, well, who would you consider your worst enemy? And they would all say TJ Leiden in white supremacy groups and like all these different places throughout. They're like TJ Leiden is because of the great work he was doing. And then TJ had a stroke and um, he couldn't talk anymore. And that book became something he could give out so people would understand who he was and what he was about. And, uh, and so that was, that was really beautiful. And his, his, um, his testimony has remained strong and even stronger. Like if you look at his Instagram page, like it is full of things about Christ because that's where he's at. He's just like, I am no longer who I once was. That was a part of me. And he had a reason for becoming what he did. Um, and then he had a beautiful reason to get out, which was his sons and changed his whole entire life. And so that was really cool. And then a couple weeks after that, I had, um, after his book came out and he was doing gangbusters and there were amazing things that were happening. Um, I had a woman that reached out to me, um, from the, the same publisher. And she said, Hey, I understand you worked with TJ. I talked with him and the publisher recommends that maybe I work with you. And she said, I think if someone could take so much darkness, but create something of hope and healing, it could be you. And then she said, I am the daughter of the happy face serial killer. And I was like, and, um, you know, it was one thing to have been led and guided to TJ's story. This one, it scared me. Like I got on my knees. I was so scared. I was thinking, how in the world do I write a story of hope and healing about a serial killer's daughter? But the cool thing was, is that it wasn't up to me. It was up to her and her extraordinary story. And it was also up to, to being guided. And we were, there was a beautiful song by Mindy Gladhill called Child of Light. And when I heard that, I was in the shower and all the information I needed to write this book to where it was not salacious. It wasn't aggrandizing her father's serial killings. It was a, a book about hope and healing as exactly what she wanted. And now she's a producer in LA. She has several different stories and shows out on A&E and others. One of them was called Monster in My Family. And she brought together the families of serial killers along with the victims' families and would bring them together so that they could heal. And no one had ever done that before. And she was the woman that brought um, compassion to true crime in Hollywood. It was amazing. And wow. she's still a So there's cool things. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So I mean, Heavenly Father really just kind of thrust you into your purpose once you were ready for it, huh? <laughs> like he yeah. was like, oh, now you're open here. <laughs> Let me just shove you. <laughs> oh my well, goodness. You know, I do find that if we, I do find that there are choices all along the way. But what I what I did find was that I had courage because I could see a bigger picture, if that makes sense. I have been terrified many, many times. I stood on the doorstep of a killer several years ago for a book. We didn't know if he was crazy or on drugs or both, um, just that he had murdered a military man and we were about to expose his story. And um, I had this whole story made up. I had a bodyguard beside me. We had a getaway car running, you know, with another bodyguard in the parking lot behind. Like I had this whole story made up for everyone's safety. And then when he answered the door and I looked at him in the eyes, 
the same as what happened to me, the same as I have been able to do with others, the same as what we do when we recognize, you know, each other as a child of God. I looked straight at him and then I told him the truth about who I was and what I was doing. And I said, I think everyone else has a story about what happened on that ship, but I don't know if anybody has ever heard your side of the story. Would you be willing to tell me? And I gave him my freaking business card. Like, you know, you don't. Oh my gosh. But then I have learned to listen to those promptings. And when I don't, I experience pain. You know, I experience the fallout of it. When I do, I experience the miracles of that. Like he died a couple years later and he had been um, unbeknownst to him because it was something that happened when, when he was very ill under schizophrenia and he'd learned to manage that through the years. But in one of his episodes is when he pulled the trigger, but knowing the truth of the story and then also his sister who I had interviewed reached out to me and let me know when he had passed away and his presence had had this grip of like more than 30 years, close to 40 years of complete terror on one family. And it was able to all be dissipated and gone away because we knew where he was and we knew he was no longer a threat to anyone. And the whole family, it was like they could let out the collective breath that they'd been holding for so long. And that was not me. That was divinely guided. And so it's just, you know, no matter where I go and what I'm doing, I feel like um, I, I hear it in my author stories, like everybody that I get to work with, there's these tendrils and threads of great magnificence in every single person. And um, what I find most beautiful is when usually through the power of story, but someone gets an inkling inside of them of, you know, why they're here. And it's not just to exist. Like it, it doesn't have to be this big, grandiose purpose. You know, I, I pushed myself because there's still this part of me that was like, well, he saved me. So there must be something worthy of saving. So instead of me going, I am unconditionally loved. I got to tell you, for the last 30 years, I went off on a tangent to like prove that I was worthy of his love. And recently it was like, <laughs> you could be sitting on the couch eating bonbons and he would love you just as much as any other work that <laughs> on the planet. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the love is truly unconditional. It's very, very, and, and it's very cool when a person inside of themselves come to recognize like, who am I? What am I about? What am I passionate about? What, what could my purpose be on the planet? And I love to call it co-creation right? Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, yep. I can create by myself a lot of chaos. <laughs> I, can <create laughs> havoc, I can create wreck and ruin and all kinds yep. of things. But co-creation, um, I have been honored to create some magnificent things in um, collaboration with God and with people. And um, I'm, I just feel really honored that even though it took something horrific for me, I, I want it for other people to realize even very young that um, every person is worthy. Every person has a story. Every person has a unique fingerprint upon the planet. And every day we have choices. Every single day, beautiful choices. That's so true. 
Yeah, I love that. Wow. So I have a question. Um, <laughs> do you think that you interviewing these people that, I mean, they've gone through some traumatic things in their lives. Do you think that your experience, you know, seeing the savior and, and feeling that love, that unconditional love that he had for you, do you think that's helped you feel that and see those people with different lenses, different through his eyes, maybe, or his, how, um, you know, how does that, how does that impacted you? I, I think, well, I'll just be really honest with you. We all have blinders, right? Depending on where we live, how we've been raised, any us versus them mentality we might have with any other humans on the planet, we have that. Um, I think what my experiences have done is allowed me such a depth of compassion that I'm able to see people for who they are. Sometimes I have to watch because they may still be playing the games in life, but I can see them for who they really are. And, and so I come from a place of absolute non-judgment and then I'm, I'm able to um, bring out um, in their stories and, and allow them to, how shall I say this? Because I'm just a guide. Like I'm not the person that pulls the strings or does anything. I just see things and then I'll comment on it or I'll um, pick out a pattern or they'll see something and I will affirm it, that witness, right? Because all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow. And they put their own puzzles together of great meaning, like Viktor Frankl talks about, you know, mm -hmm. meaning is that will to live. It is, it is um, what makes us different from animals who are completely in survival houses, this will to meaning. And um, anyway, uh, but I also, um, being very, very, very human, I still come across my prejudices at times. And um, whenever that happens, Someone will show up at one of my writer's retreats or ask to be a client and I'll be like, oh, and I'll get a nudge and it's like, all right, it's time to break down my barriers and learn who they really are and where did something come from and, you know, and, and where do they get to take this to be their most extraordinary selves? It's very cool. It's very cool because, you know, I'm not, a, um, I just have the, I have the gift to see story. And then people can choose what they want to do with it. But I have the the gift to see it. And oh my goodness, every day I love it. And every day I'm like, okay, thank you for breaking down another <laughs> or stereotype that I might have against another person on the planet. And so the more I grow, um, the less I know and the more I want to learn. You know, it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Humanity beautiful. And um, I will share one thing with you too, Scott. Um, you know, when I have been speaking like at IONS and other things, there've been people who have been like, you know, some people get very obsessed with like doomsday kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, I will share this with you is that, um, I tell them, and I would love to tell you is that I learned in that near death experience that God has ultimate faith in humankind. Um, despite the fact that mm -hmm. he, he gives us endless, endless, endless choices. He has ultimate faith in us. And so, you know, when things are going into a doomsday type nature, like I saw with the FLDS and, and wrote the book, The Witness Word Read, about Rebecca Musser, who was a change maker, who was a whistleblower on behalf of, you know, the voiceless. 
than she had been. She'd been trafficked in the name of God. And so she stood as this witness and um, a leader amongst her people who were very blind to someone who was a doomsdayer and was using, you know, the fear of God, which is is not the love of God. He was using the fear of God um, right. more in depth. And, um, and I saw what she was able to do with that and to celebrate it. And even in those situations and circumstances, you know, even worldwide, we're facing some pretty hard things. You know, we've mm-hmm. just been through a rough couple of years of political divisiveness, illness, mm-hmm. um, family members, um, economic changes and situations. We've got world um, wars happening around us, right? Um, and I still feel the ultimate faith that God has in humankind. So it just oh, takes awesome. one person to make a change in any organization to choose to do something positive, uplifting, um, more love-filled. So, sorry, I get all passionate. I love that. No, it's amazing. I'm just <laughs> I'm, like in awe. I've gotten goosebumps so many times already. And I'm like, I want to write that quote down and I want to write this quote down. <laughs> I wish I had a pencil near me. I'm going to have to pull out my phone when I re-listen to the episode and take all these notes. But, um, you know, one of the things that I was kind of thinking of is, um, and I don't know if this is, if if this is the case with you or not, maybe you can shed some light on it. But, um, in this, this gift that you have to be able to see other people more through, you know, through Christ's eyes, um, what about the people who I like, sometimes I feel like it's easier almost to see people who are not super close to you with like that full love of Christ, then, then the people who are very close to you who have a history of irritating you or hurting you, or maybe, maybe doing something horrendous to you, or maybe just ignoring you, you know, um, whether it's siblings or spouses or parents or, or things where you just, you have more of like the bad, right. That's shown through. So how, how do you, I guess, how do you see someone who's wronged you? You know, like, how do you, how do you use that in your personal life with your personal relationships? Because I think sometimes it's really easy to show more love to someone that you're only around temporarily, right? Or that you're, you're only on this little bit of a relationship with, and you don't have all of this extra history behind you. So like, how do you, I guess, put yourself in a, in a more loving position with people that are difficult for you to be around? Well, um, First of all, I have to say that I'm more human than anybody else I've ever met. (laughs) So um, when I have difficulties, I often remember, especially like, you know, before leading up to the hospital, but just even, you know, having a former husband, having, um, you know, uh, other painful situations in my family is recognizing my own humanness in all of it. So that comes first and foremost, because I recognize, like I said, I can create a lot of chaos if it's on my own. But when I'm in co-creation, then I, you know, I, I create better. I make better choices. I do better things. So I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, right? Um, so that to me has to be first and foremost. And then I would say that I'm so human, like everybody else. And it is hard. So I have two things I have to watch for. One is because I believe in transformation. And um, sometimes I've gotten hurt multiple times because I will hold a door open or a space 
for someone because I know that it's possible, right? And I don't hold them in that in that space of some of the games that they've been playing in life. And so sometimes they just walk right back in and hurt. And I've had that happen a few times. And my husband sometimes will say, um, Bridget, when are you going to believe them? You know, <laughs> like that, <laughs> this is how they want to play out life. When are you going to believe them? And just him saying that has helped bring a little more wisdom in that arena. And then, um, you know, I, I talked to you about um, my work with She Rose United and this group of, of um, businesswomen in Utah that came together because we were all victims of something, violence, um, domestic violence, rape, um, uh, horror in the military. Anyway, we were all victims of trauma and then had come out on the other side. And so, you know, with great compassion, built programs and helped people and raised a lot of awareness in Utah because at the time, nobody was talking about what was going on in Utah. And it needed to be brought out, you know, the high levels of domestic violence and sexual assault and some of the things happening in our neck of the woods, even higher than some other places in the world. And um, so we brought that out. But we also recognized something very early on, and that is, you know, um, that you can't break just one link of the chain. You still have a link there that there needs to be compassion for perpetrators. There needs to be compassion for um, uh, the people because it's it's hurt people that hurt people. And so in order for us to break cycles, in order for us to have a new way of respecting and creating dignity between people, we have to get to the bottom line of, you know, what is it that creates predators, bullies, you know, all of those things. We gotta, we've got to deeply go in and love and fix that as well as the, the victims. And that together we can do something extraordinary like Melissa did in Hollywood, you know, bringing together two groups of people that usually don't speak, don't talk to each other. There's a great deal of hatred between them or, or distrust or suspicion or hurt or sadness and um, to bring them together. And um, we're, we're not bringing together victims and, and perpetrators, but we're bringing love and compassion to both groups of people. So as they go out into the world, they're better, they have more skills and are better able within themselves to see patterns so that they don't step back into those patterns and that they can do the forgiveness processes that are necessary as humans. And so um, I like to turn my life experiences into something that can benefit someone else. So that was a very tricky question, Alicia, and I really Sorry. appreciate it. <laughs> no, I yeah. do I think it's important to ask those questions. And, um, yeah. So I hope that, yeah, you know, that I, yeah, it did. You know, one of the things that I, um, I, okay. My husband says that I say too much stuff. <laughs> He's like, you're what? a little too open sometimes. No. I know. Right? <laughs> so I'm going to be a little bit too open, but Maybe he won't listen to this podcast and he won't be like, hey, stop. Anyway, uh, there is a there is a time, Bridget, you don't know this, Scott obviously does, but uh, where my husband, he was not a member of the church and we had a really, really, really horrible, tough marriage, you know, to the point where we were ready to get divorced. And, um, and in a series of events, we had decided to get divorced. My husband reached out to my brother. My brother 
was the one that knew how to show love to my husband. Um, and, and then my brother ended up baptizing my husband. And a month after my husband was baptized, my brother passed away. And it was a very whirlwind of craziness and emotions that were all over the place. And, and I remember thinking at the time how grateful I was that my brother was there to love my husband when I couldn't. You know, like it was just so raw and I didn't know how to give it over to Heavenly Father. And I, you know, I could be compassionate towards everybody else in the world. But for my husband, I just didn't know how to forgive and to love and to let go. And so I was so grateful for my brother being able to do that. And recently when I, you know, just a couple of weeks ago when I went up to Alaska and stuff to be with my husband, we're, I mean, we've been sealed since then as a family. He has really just kind of come into his own purpose and it helps a lot for me. It makes it a lot easier for me to love him when he's doing all of these good things, you know, of course. Um, and it, I mean, it helps that he's growing out a beard because I just think beards are just smoking hot right now. <laughs> so anyway, he, um, you know, I had this moment where I was like, I give a lot of credit to my brother, you know, I, and I've done it for the, for the last four years. You know, I'm so thankful that Zach loved John when I, when I couldn't. And I've said it so many different times before, but I had this revelation when I was up there with him and we were going out to eat or something like that. And I just thought, I'm so thankful that my husband was able to love me when I didn't deserve it. You know, despite the fact that he was not a member of the church and I could tell you everything that he was doing wrong in our marriage, of course, that I was not innocent by any means. I was a hard woman to live with for sure. And for some reason, he was still able to love me. And it wasn't just once. It was multiple times and in, in tons of different circumstances where I did not deserve it by any, you know, definition of the world. But somehow he tapped into that. And so I, I get so envious sometimes when I see people being able to forgive and being able to love unconditionally. And I'm like, what's the secret? <laughs> How do you how do you do it? And I, I, so I love that you answered that it was, it's kind of about put yourself in that co-creation part first, right? Like make sure that you understand that you're not the only person that's creating here, that you have your heavenly father by your side. And when you create with, you know, what do you want heavenly father? Like, what do you think would be a good idea? And not what do I want to do? Because I need to feel justified in it. All of Mm -hmm. a sudden it's a little less messy, you know, or even if it is messy, it's more, you know, like a full-on Monet, right? <laughs> from Clueless. Like, <laughs> just, you know, up close, it's a big old mess, but from far away, it's beautiful. So <laughs> um, I just, I loved that you had that insight about co-creating with our Heavenly Father because some people just get it, you know? And for some of us, like myself, it takes a little longer sometimes. So that's... Well, and we, we all have that, but how beautiful that you have Scott in your life also to be an example of that unconditional love. And mm-hmm. look at you being willing to talk about it. So not only may you be inspiring others to um, look for love in a place where they have let it go for a while so that they might be able to create different circumstances and situations and relationships, um, but also that, you know, that you, you've had this one time in such a remarkable degree that you now in other situations or relationships could have that possibility of holding that space, right? Whether they choose to step into it or not, but holding that space of love. Cause I think 
you know, we're not going to take our credit cards with them or our lovely houses or these other things. We certainly can take our grudges to the other side. We know, we know that that can and does happen. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. the places where we have shown up in love are going to be some of the things that we can take with us forever and ever, you know, where, Mm -hmm. where we learn not to regret, but when we have regrets that we, we make sure we learn from those so that um, we can apply them in another situation. You know, we either, we either win or we learn that I love that. (laughs) because It's like learning to me is just, it's so delicious. (laughs) And I still have so much. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) So I have a, a story that really fits into what we're talking about. When, when you talked about having compassion for people that have hurt you, there was a lady that was when I was a bishop, she was in the other ward, but somehow we met and she had a near death experience. So that's why I think this applies. And she told it to me and she wrote a little book and she gave me the book. Well, the, my most favorite part in that book was um, as when she grew up, as she was growing up, her, her brother was really mean to her and she could never understand why. And when she had this near-death experience, she was able to see um, her brother and what he went through through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and she got to see some of the things that he went through that, you know, were very painful for him in his life. And he didn't know how to deal with it. And so he took it out on her. And wow. just to see compassion, have her have compassion on her brother through this near-death experience where she got to see through his eyes what he went through. Um, it's hard. It's it's really, really hard to have compassion for the, for the perpetrator, right? Mm-hmm. We always have compassion for the victim, but I mean, if we're going to be truly Christ-like, we have to have compassion for both. And so I really love that your organization takes the time to look at both and, and to see what, what you can do to help both sides. Yeah. Thank you. That was a beautiful, thank you for sharing that story, Scott, because that's, that's a beautiful um, example of, uh, of, I think the bigger picture, which is why I love books so much, right? Because you, Mm -hmm. you get a chance to see those longer, deeper threads of story that we all have, you know, in our humanness, our messy humanness. And um, one thing that kind of struck me was just this, that that all of us in the mistakes that we make we're perpetrators at some point mm-hmm. we just are mm-hmm. not on purpose all the time but hurt people hurt people so the times that we've been hurt we often will um, create a scapegoat or um, be rude or brusque to someone else in a certain situation and to them how they see it or how they take it in or where they're at in their own lives you know and so this compassion for for that I think is great Um, I'll share with you a sacred story that I don't talk about very often, but I think it kind of applies with what you just shared, Scott. Um, When I was working on the Witness War Red, I was um, in some deep prayer and meditation. And um, my adoptive father, who I deeply love, he came to, to see me and he had a really strong message for me. So he was showing me he was in a tux and he was dancing. And he was dancing with my grandmother. 
And he and my grandmother hadn't always seen eye to eye. She loved him, but she was upset with him because he took her daughter from Detroit, Michigan, out to Utah, this heathen land, right? <laughs> and um, and took the grandkids away. And, you know, it was a career move and it was really important at the time, but it was just hard for her. And so, um, you know, there's legends and family stories like how she took the their marriage picture off the mantelpiece and put my mom's, you know, graduation picture back up and things like that. They were able in life to come to terms with things. And um, she came to live with us for a while before she passed. But it was beautiful in the vision that he showed me of the two of them dressed to the nines and dancing. And um, they both loved dancing. And my grandfather, who had also passed, he was into tux as well. And he's watching them dance. And he just got a big grin on his face. And my dad said to me, the games you play, the games we play in life. And I was like, wow, right? Mm-hmm. So there was that piece of it. But then he showed me this prayer that I'd been saying. It was a really important sacred prayer to me. It's not um, LDS form, but it was this on a very heartfelt daily basis. God, help me to see through your eyes, to hear with your ears, to feel with your heart. And when prompted to speak with your words or write those words. And so I would just ask to have a bigger, bigger picture, as you were saying, Alicia, bigger picture than I would see on a normal basis through my my predilections and my my um, judgments. And he showed me this prayer and this light coming from this prayer. And he showed me like all this light. And I was like deeply humbled and touched and prayer and, and tearful. And then all of a sudden there was this black wall, just black, horrific, because it was the absence of light. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's that? And he had me peek over the side of that blackness, that wall. And there was Melissa Moore's father, the happy face serial killer. And um I didn't hate him, but I didn't trust him. And I was still mad at him for the things he had done to Melissa. Mm-hmm. And I just withheld my love from him. And my father was showing me that that was not a godlike trait. That was, that was the opposite of this that I was asking for. And here's this one section. And so I remember walking into the courtroom when I was working on the witness war red and I, I got to be at one point walking down the hall to go to the courtroom as they were leading Warren Jeffs out in handcuffs. And for those of you who don't know, Warren Jeffs was a, a pedophile prophet of the FLDS who ruins more than 500 lives. And um, mm-hmm. he's in prison for life plus 20 years because of the courage of Rebecca Musser to tell the truth. And there were others that also told the truth. Um, but I remember he comes out of this little room and I looked for light in his eyes. And I don't think I ever would have done that before um, as encased in my judgments. Now, I'll tell you, I did not see light there, but I looked for it. And I realized what my dad was saying is just the, the power of the space of love that we choose to hold for anyone anyone on the planet, even when we perceive that everything in their life is really screwed up, wrong, bad, sick, all of those things, that we ourselves um, 
that we that we still have learning and love to give if that makes sense so yeah that was um i don't i don't hardly ever share that but i will tell you it changed my world and again i just take a look at all the judgments i still hold after all this time and do my best to lower those walls and to just love people exactly where they are because honestly that is something that um, most predators and most people have never experienced is just to be loved where they are. You know what I really loved about that? I mean, I I think you shared that strictly for me. I'm just going to say just there are some very, you know, hard things that have, uh, that have weighed on me for quite a while. And so what you said was just so, so powerful. Um, and one of the thoughts that kind of popped into my head when you and I am like such a visual person. So like, I like played out as you're like describing your dream. I just kind of played that all out as you were describing it. And, and, um, and I thought about in church today, um, someone shared this plaque that had been hanging up on a wall that, you know, years ago they remember seeing and it. It said something along the lines of, if you don't feel close to God, who turned away? And I was just, I, I love that you mentioned that you had this black wall and it was that you essentially put that wall up and was not willing to share that light and that love with that person, you know? And, and I just kind of had this thought of like heavenly father telling me, you know, if you're not close to this person in your life anymore, who is it that really turned away? You know, did I stop loving this person? Did I build these walls? You know, like, yes, things have changed and maybe they're not making the choices that I would want them to make. But, um, and, and yes, there was probably turning away on both parts, but do I want to ever have that on my conscious that I'm the one that stopped showing love towards, towards them, you know? So that was like a two by four to the face. Thanks, Bridget. <laughs> That's what I'm known for. No, I'm just kidding. I, know, um, I love it. <laughs> I I love how you are so tender and you learn things. I love how you invite people onto your show and that you, you and Scott, you know, and now we know you and Scott will be talking about things and then you're going to be able to incorporate into your lives on a deeper basis. And mm-hmm. well, I love what you two have created in, in terms of that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Well, do you have any last thoughts or, or stories you'd like to share before we kind of wrap things up? Well, I kind of, I think I have taken my time. <laughs> Thank you. I, this has been a great pleasure and honor for me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for not just being our guest, but for being so open to really seeking out the purpose that you have in this life and in eternity and for sharing that Christ-like love with others and and just for being willing to write the stories of those who maybe couldn't really write them themselves. I love that you're allowing yourself to kind of be that platform for them. Um, and I just, I want to be best friends and I want to get involved in everything that you're doing. <laughs> I just think it's amazing. It's so, so cool. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for taking the time out today to, to sit and to share your story and just these beautiful messages of, of truth and love with our listeners. Um, 
This is probably one of my favorite podcasts so far. <laughs> I loved it. So. Yeah, I think it's up there for me too. I It's very mm-hmm. inspirational, everything you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to get that little prayer uh, from you if I yes. could. Because I would love to to memorize that and just it, – it just feels like that's the type of person I want to strive to be. Somebody yeah. that can see yeah. through Christ's eyes, hear, hear the words – you know, I don't know. I can't remember the exact poem, but I would love to exactly. learn it so that I can be more like him. Thank yeah. you. I want to be more like him every day. <laughs> so I understand <laughs> that. I'll be happy to just write it down and send it to you, Scott. That would be wonderful. Awesome. Well, and then for all of our listeners, Bridget, if they, you know, would love to uh, grab any of your books or to get involved in any of your your causes that you have going on. Um, where should they go to either contact you or to get more information? Like what's the best way for them to kind of beautiful involved in everything you're doing? Thank you. I appreciate that. So I I have a website where my heart lies (laughs) and that's um, mostly helping people to write their own stories because we all have that capacity. And that's why I put on inspired writers retreats. And so I have a, if you know, you have a story and you just haven't given yourself permission to tell it, or you haven't taken the time to do it, but you know that this is your year, then I would love for you to go to inspiredwritersretreat.com and join us. We have a few a year. Um, They sell out pretty fast, but I would love to have it. And I keep them small so that we can have like this deep dives into people and stories and can get really connected and be in a safe place. But also learn how to become a leader from the power of your story. So that's my favorite thing. And then my, um, my big website is yourinspiredstory.com. And there's places that you can go to find out what we're involved in, what we're doing, um, where I'll be speaking next or where I'll have retreats next. And we do everything from teaching online classes to um, I have executive coaching where I help people to, to write their stories. And I always have a couple of pet projects of stories I'm writing myself because I will always, I will always be doing that. I love it. And then, um, and we've got a great in-house editor and others. So we, we help to craft and create best-selling books and we do it. um, uh, Sometimes we have people from LDS audiences and some, we have people from way outside of the LDS spectrum or that just want to reach a broader audience. And so we're able to do that and help you with New York or help you self-publish or indie publish. And we love that. And um, uh, we have a website called sheroesunited.org. And um, right now we have a beautiful uh, program going where we teach a program called Inside Out, which is allowing um, these women to understand where they come from and um, what their roles and responsibilities have been to understand the power of their own story and how to change it and what their own personal bill of rights is and other things. And so it's really powerful. And we've been teaching there for almost five years and it's one that they keep asking to bring back again and again. And so we're looking for volunteers for that. And we're looking for volunteers on our board who want to help us to get this out in a much bigger way. Uh, because we're getting requests from other prisons throughout the country to be able to bring this to women. And we're also expanding into men. And so we would love to have volunteers who are say, yep, now's my time to serve. That would be great. Oh, I love that. Awesome. awesome. 
And we'll be sure to go ahead and add those links in the description for any, you know, anywhere that we're putting. So uh, you guys don't have to remember them all. You can just go through the description. We'll make sure we have all of that, all of that lined up. Um, if anyone was interested in reaching out and having you maybe do like a fireside, is that something that you do or are you more on like corporate bigger levels or? Um, I do corporate bigger levels, but I also have this, um, the, the things that draw my heart are those where people are interested in their own personal transformation and they are looking to love more deeply, give more compassionately. And so um, just depending on my schedule, I'm, I'm generally make myself available. Okay. Awesome. awesome. So they can just reach out to you on one of those platforms and let yes. me know if they, if they have yeah. a project. For you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm Facebook and Instagram too. So yeah, feel free. Perfect. Awesome. Great. Well, Bridget, that was what an amazing story. Thank you so much for taking the time out to share it with us today. I, I know I feel incredibly enlightened and um, I'm sure our viewers do as well. So mm-hmm. thanks again for being on the show. It's been a great honor. You are something extraordinary. Thank you for your time and your talents and what you choose to share with the world. I love, I love that, that you're bringing light. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you to our listeners. You guys are just amazing. Scott and I have been watching and we have seen some just explosion of downloads um, in the last month that, you know, something something centrifugal is starting to happen. And so we are so, so thankful to all of you guys for helping to support this podcast, for liking, sharing, commenting, for giving us referrals um, of guests that you think that should be on this show and, and for reaching out yourselves as well. Um, if you guys have a story to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth and inspire others, please, please, please be sure to reach out to us at latterdaylights.com or you can um, reach out to us. We read all the comments in you know YouTube and and Facebook and all of those techie fancy things. <laughs> uh, so just make sure you guys reach out to us. Let us know if you would like to share a story or if you have someone who has a great story to share because uh, we really, we really need each other in order to share this light properly and in order to combat the, the darkness that's there in the world. And so we really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening and being so supportive of us. Um, I think that's all we have. Scott, is there anything else? Yep. Nope. Just let's, let's <laughs> hit that like button and share Bridget's story. This is an incredible story that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people need to hear. So yeah, be a, absolutely. be that missionary, be that person that, that, sh- it's, it takes five seconds to hit a button or less. Yep. So let's yep. do Your that. five let's second missionary moment, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to hashtag yep. that, Scott. That needs to happen. <laughs> yep. All right. Awesome. Well, awesome. thank you guys so much. We will see you guys next week. Have a good one. Take care.